0: Hey folks, thanks for checking out the Wait What If podcast. I am your host, Kevin Sullivan. Tonight we have a very special guest, Paul Adams. Paul Adams is a, I'm going to call him a scholar, slash philosopher, slash theologian. I don't know what he would call himself. Um, I think if I asked him what he called himself, he would probably go into some um, long philosophical, theological explanation of what he is. But uh, I think he's retired, actually. Maybe he'll call himself retired if... um if you ask them. Anyways, so I, I have this conflict in my head about morality. What is morality? You know, if you have a uh, car that is twice the car that you can own, so, so you're spending twice as much on it, but you don't really need that, um, all that car, and that money could go to, say, feeding a starving family each month. Is that a moral thing to do, to drive the car? Or are you literally taking food out of the mouths of starving people? Other things would be suppose you have empty bedrooms in your house, yet there's people in Africa who are homeless, or even people in your own neighborhood that are they're that homeless, or, or town, or city, or whatever. So I have these questions um, and wondering, you know, how people can call themselves moral when we live in all these luxuries and they're still suffering in the world. And I wanted to get his take on it since he's a philosopher, theologian, retiree. <laughs> so uh, without further ado. Um, oh, if you can hear, we're outside, of course. Whenever I whenever I record outside, uh, dogs start to bark, car alarms go off, the birds start going crazy. It's just the way it is. My neighbor's AC unit goes on, so I apologize for the background noise, but that's the ambiance of these outdoor conversations. Check out waitwhatif.com for bios, articles, all sorts of wonderful things. I write stuff on there. I Put all my past episodes, links to guests' profiles and web pages. So um, if you're listening to the podcast, swing over to waitwhatif.com and check that out because um, I put it up for you. Thanks. You're listening to the Wait What If podcast. I'm <laughs> Let me I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up with a general question. Okay. And you're gonna you're gonna laugh. But I, I I'm I'm leading us hopefully in in a direction. What is morality? What is morality? Like if you were to walk onto any street, um, and I've been wanting to do this with my podcast. Like next time there's like a Clayton Days, I want to set up a booth and just ask people stuff, you know, and just to see what kind of sound bites I get. But that'd be something, if you, if you grabbed people off the street, yeah. are you a moral person? What is morality? Well, it's to do good. That's what I would say. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So are you a moral person? Yes.
1: Yeah. I would say it's, doing good is limited, mm-hmm. is, is a, um, a narrow definition. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Morality, and I'm thinking in Aristotle's terms here, is flourishing. Okay. Being, to quote the Army's old commercial, being all that you can be. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when my dog is chasing down a, a rat in Manchester, England, which is what it was bred to do, mm-hmm. it is being a moral thing. In a sense that it's flourishing. It is experiencing the height of all that it was designed to be. And okay. Doing. So morality is <clears throat> pursuing that which causes the person, human person, to flourish. Or the dog. Or the plant.
0: Mm-hmm. So plant, uh, plants, dogs plants, can be moral? Plants
1: can be moral in a sense that... That they can flourish they can they can have an apex
0: um, which which I don't mean <clears> to cut <throat> you off but which makes sense because nature can be extremely violent and mm-hmm. there can be lots of suffering but is it immoral you know I don't think it is I wouldn't say it is I wouldn't say a wolf that eats a deer alive is acting immoral uh, it's it's kind of fitting into yeah. your definition so right. what it's meant to do
1: well I'm, I'm trying to raise it to a different Different level than rather than just talking about standards of right and wrong good and bad Mm -hmm. truth and error Uh, but talking in terms of What were things designed to do what? You know when I look at a tree and I say oh that tree is immoral because it can't see me Well, it's not supposed to it wasn't designed to see me to Mm -hmm. have vision But when I look at a person who's blind and I say That's unfortunate because that person was designed to see and to have vision, to take in through the sense perception, mm-hmm. you know, the, the world around him or her. And, and I would say that's, uh, in the broadest sense, um, not moral. Mm-hmm. Because for it to be moral, then the person would have sight and would have hearing, would have
0: taste, would have touch and all the other senses so morality being whatever it is to be the best that it is to flourish in whatever it does Mm -hmm. be it a smoker (laughs) or a a cat or an individual um so in essence then morality is universal
1: in some sense right and that's the the hebrew mindset of of the term shalom kind of captures it Mm -hmm. shalom simply means well-being Okay. When everything's right with the world, everything's right with me, about me, everything's right and balanced with me in my relationships, everything's right and balanced with me in my environment, my physical environment that I'm with or around.
0: <clears throat> How do you know that you're flourishing? I mean, it, it seems to take, so if you're being the best that you can be, it seems to take any, um, uh, need for you to to make sure others <laughs> are being the best that they can be um, Care to explain that.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I think there is a relationship between me my being right with the world mm-hmm. You know, there's basically a relationship between me and myself Okay, how I am in myself how I am with myself and others mm-hmm. and then how I am with my physical surroundings mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> And when all of that is in sync, if you will, or finely tuned, then um, that's that sense of shalom. And um, so if I have angst in a relationship with, say, a neighbor, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, then I, there's a suboptimal s- circumstance here where things are not the best that they could be. And so it would seem to me that uh, the burden would be on... Uh, Me insofar as I can to be at peace in that relationship and to pursue
0: peace Even if it meant sacrifice Mm -hmm. How do you know you're being the best that you can be? Could there could there always be better and if so does that mean you're not moral? What was the last question again, so say you're at a level where you say this is great you know i have a great job i'm providing for my family i'm a good neighbor um uh, everything's going good i'm doing what i'm supposed to do i'm healthy i'm eating right i'm i'm i feel good but but if there's more that you could do which in in general there is there always is mm-hmm. then are you never you're never moral you're never reaching or are there are levels of moral you're you're at baseline moral but you could be yeah, that's fair
1: Yeah, there is, there is, I think, because the world is never optimal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, neither is my environment ever optimal, Mm -hmm. neither is my physical well-being optimal.
0: So the limitations, there's limitations. Yeah, there are
1: limitations. So learning how to manage and balance that Mm -hmm. and, and managing that angst, uh, that dissonance between uh, myself and me. Myself and others, myself and the environment, I think is um, uh, in itself a sense of being moral and being good, mm-hmm. even though things aren't optimal. In other words, things don't have to be optimal and then I know that I'm being a moral person. I can be a moral person in a suboptimal situation and, and seek to, um, to rectify and to reconcile wherever possible in those three um,
0: relationships, that matrix of relationships. <clears throat> so I've brought this one up a few times I'm still trying to I'm still trying to get a good answer for it. There might not be a good answer for it There might not be and I know you've heard this before, but let's go to um, You you step out your front door and there's a hungry child sitting at your doorstep And you step over him and get in your car and drive to work Without giving him any notice. Could he die? Who knows? You don't you chose not to help him um, Now the next day you step out of your front door and there's no child there, but you know The child is there, right? It's the same child. He just didn't make it to your door. He Mm -hmm. might be three blocks away Mm -hmm. uh, Or two continents (coughs) away, but the child is there. There's no question that there as we speak right now There is a child suffering Mm -hmm. from hunger Mm -hmm. that would give anything for food or love or whatever Is the fact that we know that but aren't doing anything to alleviate that suffering or to Help that that individual is is that an immoral act and therefore we're not Optimized we're not being to our Mm -hmm. full potential I think in the ideal
1: idealistic sense Then I think that's true that Mm -hmm. we're not living up to our potential Mm -hmm. morally Um, But I also think there's a lot more involved in a scenario like that Uh, there has to be opportunity I can know about something but not have opportunity to make a difference, right? I can be equally as poor, right? You know, for example Um, and and then I can know about something have opportunity but um, Don't not care about it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or I could not care about it and do it anyway Mm-hmm. Just so I don't have to look at it any further, right? You know, to get it off my, get the child off my front step.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here, take this. So, d- did I really do anything moral for the child? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, for the child, yes. But for myself, no. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Consequently, insofar as I did it from the wrong motives in helping someone else, then there's a sense in which. Um, I haven't moved forward at all, morally. Mm-hmm. I've probably actually b- become worse, if anything, but I certainly haven't moved forward if I didn't do it with the right heart, the right motivation. Um, and that is to, um, to do it for the sake of the child only, mm-hmm. not for any utilitarian sake, You know, to get the child off the step or to alleviate the child's right. suffering. I just
0: did it because it's the right thing to do. Period. Does that mean anything in excess, that you have in excess, makes you immoral? Like, that you can, you can possibly give up a name brand shoe, or this or that, to take that money and feed somebody? Think of it like, um, I was raised Catholic, so obviously we always used Jesus as the hallmark of morality. Mm-hmm. Um, who literally gave the shirt off his back i mean he gave his life so mm-hmm. it, that that's the standard which christians should live to mm-hmm. um and i don't i don't want this to be a theological thing although it does play a role just because it's a it's a, a yardstick which we kind of compare what we do but if if living to attain a level of morality is is if living you know let's say you're a christian you want to live to to be like jesus At I least mean, so you should abstain to i mean uh try to, to be like Jesus and if you if you knowingly don't give the shirt off your back you know generally then then are you in fact immoral could you ever say that you're you're moral so good example is I was telling you mm. I my love my pickup truck right I love my pickup truck <laughs> uh, and it's it taps into being an 80s kid right 80s and, and 90s I was getting a little bit older but 80s uh, it was the, the the era of like Bigfoot and and muscle cars and, and yeah. all that. So so my <laughs> truck is kind of a combination of that. Yeah. It's got the speed stripes <laughs> for the muscle car in it, and yeah. it's a it's a four by four pickup truck. It's everything I ever. I mean, it's just. But it's totally it's a toy. <laughs> it's a toy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so I could buy half that truck, and <laughs> take that other half of the money, and I don't know, pay for a a kid to have a, I don't know, a medical procedure, whatever, whatever it is. I know I could find someone who could use that money. I know I could, but I choose not to. And in the eyes of, of whoever's judging me, it would be like, well, I don't know. See, I think if you look at, if,
1: if, if you look at Jesus, he had a unique mission. No one else was called to do what he did. Mm -hmm. Um, No one else is called to atone for their own sins because the Christian story is that Jesus did that for everyone, you Mm -hmm. know. So um, I don't think everyone's called to be all and do all that Jesus did because Jesus' mission was unique. Just as not everyone's called to have the mission of Martin Luther King, Mm -hmm. you know, he had a unique mission. And I think he accomplished it quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We've got a long way to go, obviously, uh, sadly. But um, uh, we've come a long way as well, thankfully, because one person had a unique mission. Mm -hmm. I don't think everyone is called to be all that. Um, Moreover, as I understand the Christian story, there are plenty of passages in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, that um, encourage financial flourishing, and enjoying the, the booty, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the spoils of the day uh, based on your labor. Uh, I could recount several passages that, that say that in the Bible. So, um, you know, how do you reconcile that with giving up everything? You know, well, I, I don't know that we have to. Do the, the passages
0: saying. say, in order to be good, you need to flourish? Or, or does it say, it's okay to flourish?
1: It says it's okay to flourish,
0: but it's not. It's not a uh, necessity to flourish. No, it by no be, means. Right. No, huh? Because isn't that there's the one about a, uh, it's. It's harder for, a rich or it's just as difficult for a rich men to enter heaven as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Right. 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 So, and then of of course you could look at that and just say, well, it's saying someone who is a multi billionaire who isn't. You know, who, who's who's stepping on people to get what they want. But, I mean, that to yeah. me, that's, you're just, you're using it to justify. Well, what
1: Jesus did throughout uh, his, his three-year uh, ministry, uh, and the Gospels bear this out, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that, you know, Jesus got to the heart of the matter, literally. Uh, it wasn't about how much we had. It was about the heart behind what we had. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus was addressing when he s- talked about the camel and the eye and the needle and the rich man. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some folks uh, took a little, just a little too much pride in their uh, earnings, mm-hmm. you know, and they didn't recognize that um, uh, it was from God that they they got everything. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter eight says, "Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. For when you eat and are satisfied, and when you build your fine houses, then you will forget your Lord, the Lord your God who gave you the ability to produce wealth." Verses eleven through seventeen, chapter eight, Deuteronomy. Okay. So, God gives us the ability to produce wealth. It's okay to enjoy it. But if we forget God in the process, then there's a problem. So, it's not having the wealth that's the problem. It's forgetting
0: God in the process. That's the Christian story. Yeah, I just can't... So, I, I, and it's, it's been... I don't know when I had first had this idea, but I can't, I can't shake the feeling that I can't call myself a good person mm-hmm. until... Until you I mean, we're, we're only on this earth for a short period of time and if you're on this earth Now we reincarnation <laughs> Right, that's true. If you're yeah. if you're on this earth uh, Living in any sort of excess. I mean, what could you call excess? It's all it's all um, a changing baseline too because the way I live in North Carolina I'd be a I'd be a uh, Prince in you know, yeah East Africa. Yeah. Uh, I'd be living like a, a millionaire yet you know, I live in a middle-class neighborhood in in this country, um, and so you know, I I I just my answer is I don't think about it because I have my family to raise and I have my job and I have things I I do. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, it does enter my mind that that you know, it, if I'm if I'm purchasing things just because I fall within the uh, the market class of a certain product, I I want the new. Uh, uh, I think it's the Galaxy S10 that's coming out. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Or maybe it's the S9. I don't know. Whatever the... I would love that. Yeah. I'm not going to buy it because it's like a thousand bucks. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> given the extra money, would I get it? That's a that'd be nice... That'd be a nice fun toy. I love technology. Yeah. But that is absolutely, in my opinion, yeah. not a moral thing to do. Yeah. Because even the phones... I mean, then you can look at... You can dissect your life pretty pretty deeply. Um, and you can say, <clears throat> uh, you know, this smartphone I have right here, the S5, by the way, um, yeah, is, has... Things that guarantee—I mean, you can find that there's data that the yeah. precious, I think they're precious uh, metals or whatever that are used to make the phones, are from, are are, are gathered and sold, right? yeah, through hardship. Yeah. Eight-year-old ladies. Yeah, 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 sure. So it's like, well, yeah. then, 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 yeah. in theory, we should all be—we should all at least admit that we are living in. Uh, Caligula. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not that sense, yeah. but you know what yeah. I mean, in our, our own sort of uh, Right, yeah. right. So well, so we should all be doomed. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well again, all of this talk about, you know, um Someone has less than I do, I have more, I could give more, therefore I should give more.
0: Well, it's not so much less, like they don't have the phones, they don't have that, but they might not be eating, or they could be Sure. suffering a disease sure. that could be cured.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, so basically, you're, you're looking at things from a ledger,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, a balance sheet. Right. And, and I guess the question I have is, if you could right all the wrongs, the f- financial wrongs in the world, mm-hmm. uh, with the limited resources that you have. If you could take uh, four hundred thousand dollars, sell your house, take four hundred thousand dollars, say that's your net worth at the end of the day when everything's liquidated, and you could you could make a difference, um, and you feel like you're called to do that. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Um, and then you, but you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Then do you think that's wrong?
0: If if you feel that you are then no, I I think it's wrong in general now now I say this with a grain of salt because I am I'm an American. I'm a capitalist Um, I believe in pull yourself up by your bootstraps to a degree. Mm -hmm. I also feel that you know There's some I would call them then the the group. I'm thinking about is those who can't fend for themselves those who can't fend for themselves and i'm not going to politically label who those people are there's some politicians out there that say you're a group that can't that can't uh, fend for yourself you're a group that can't let us yeah put that aside there's yeah. actual people that can't fend for themselves sure and if if we allow them to not be able to fend for themselves or or to suffer or however you I know suffer can mean a lot of things too but um but in general terms if we if they can suffer because we don't we don't give up a few things then yeah there there's I mean, do I feel like it's my calling to do that? I don't know. I think it's humans calling to do that. I think everyone as as true as the sun's going to come up, everyone's job is to make sure that everyone's okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I I now I, why though? Let me let me ask you, why do you feel that's the human calling? Who says so? Oh, okay. I'll <laughs> tell you I'll tell you why I think this is. I think humans humans have have um flourished through adversity. You know, there was a uh I think it was 10,500 years ago, or it was 10,000 B.C., 12,000 years ago, 12,500 years ago, a comet hit uh, North America. And they think humans, uh, and they have some pretty good data, got down to about 10,000 people, 10,000 left on Earth. And they managed to, now we're at 7 billion, (laughs) right? So they managed to flourish through some pretty hard times. I think that humans learn to flourish because we're pack animals, you know. The lone wolf rarely makes it. And, and there was a scientist that came up with this number, and I don't remember what it is now, but most humans, and they've studied this, and I don't know, they, they are genetically predispositioned to know, say, 150 people, and that's the limit. So, and that was about the size of a tribe of people. So you, you could have uh, contact with that many people, you would know them, and you could, but you start getting beyond that number, and, and you start losing information. You can gather the data of about 150 people. And I think that humans and morality stemmed from the ability of a group of humans to work together. Now, if I'm in my hut and I have, uh, I don't know, a half an elk and there's a hut next to me without any elk, I would obviously give my elk to them because not only, and sure, some of it is, is um, uh, selfish because you want everyone to see, look, I am giving, you know, don't throw me out with the wolves. <laughs> I'm part of this group. Um, but you're also helping that person, because maybe that person's a good hunter. Well, mm-hmm. he would have the elk if he was, but maybe he's sick. He doesn't have the elk right now, but, you know, you're, you're helping each other, mm-hmm. and then you're, you're making that, that cohesive unit, and you're making it stronger. Now, today's day and age, and I think this is where I run into trouble, I think, I think my trouble with, with grasping morality and, and how I feel that no one's doing enough, well, I mean, some are, but the majority of us aren't, is because our, our universe has expanded, our world has expanded. Because of technology, I can I can go onto an app right now and see a live video of someone in in um, downtown Baghdad, you Mm -hmm. know, or I can I can read articles that aren't from the mainstream media, written by a blogger in South Africa, you know. I can I can now learn and see my tribe expands, Mm -hmm. but I don't have the ability as a person who's supposed to be in that little 150 group unit. Mm -hmm. I don't have the ability to to expand to everyone in the world. So it's (laughs) like it's a dichotomy we're 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 meant to be self-sacrificing for the unit cohesion but there's just not enough of it or not the the ability isn't there in today's day and age where our tribe has expanded to you know i don't mm-hmm. know how many people i know or i talk to or i mean it's the numbers i don't even know mhm so mm-hmm. that could be it that that's a theory of mine
1: okay all right well um what you described was um, similar to one of the many theories in, in ethical theory called sociobiology theory. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Morris talks about that here, and uh, it's basically a failure or a success in the struggle for existence. It's the sole moral standard. Good, uh, the sole moral standard. Good uh, is what survives. In other words, um, um, it's up to the the crowd to decide what's best for Everyone okay. 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 The problem is is when you have two competing crowds One crowd. I mean take Nazi Germany, Mm -hmm. you know uh, They they decided that they knew what was best for everyone and they did what they did right okay Well, that worked great until the Jews came along. Yeah, and then all of a sudden that that wasn't very expedient (laughs) Right, right. Well, Uh, it,
0: it was it was um I don't know what term he would use it. Uh, 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 evolutionary civilization. like c- yeah. Civilization yeah. Has, has. That was their whole argument. Right. But if if their 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 um, morals obviously didn't stand the test because the rest of every you know the other tribes, America. Well, the uh, Axis versus the Allies, The allies came in and said, "Nope, <laughs> this isn't gonna well, this isn't gonna work." And you could say that that probably happened within the tribes in North America. 5,000 years ago, and maybe even in, uh, you know, 15,000 years ago in little tribes across Africa. And that's
1: the problem with the the crowd control mentality, Mm -hmm. uh, the crowd uh, morality Mm -hmm. mentality, is that when one person stands up in the crowd and says, wait, this is wrong, Mm -hmm. then that is considered a vice, not a virtue. And if that's the case, then what Martin Luther King did was wrong because he went against the crowd, he went against the majority. Right, um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer uh, in uh, World War II, you know, in, in a Nazi Germany ca- Germany camp. You know, he um, he was put to death. Mm-hmm. Was One, he the priest? No, he was a Lutheran pastor. Yes, I mean, the, he had little glasses. Right. man, mm-hmm.
0: he he's got a fantastic. The day story. before
1: he was scheduled to be released, he was he was uh, put to death. Wow, you know, and so um, so the fact is is that. Um, you know, if one person stands up and says this is wrong, then that person's wrong in doing that.
0: Within that it, No matter that how group. right
1: they are. Right, right. <laughs> and so that, there's a problem. There's a basic problem. With well, that it. would
0: be mores versus morals, right? Mores are what's... Mores are a subset of morals. Isn't it like what the group decide? And I'm, I'm trying to pull 15 years ago, or 20 years ago college sociology out of yeah, my head. Too, but, yeah, me too, yeah. It's what the group considers good. Uh, and and you know it might not be you're right and you're right there's someone within that group it still falls within the moral framework right, right you know, Mores do
1: so And so so, you know, we can't say Martin Luther King was wrong I think he was right. I right think he, he was spot right. on you know but, but that's because there's another standard against which I'm measuring Martin Luther Kingness mm-hmm. You know and that other standard is not what the crowd believed I grew up in white Texas in mm-hmm. the 50s, so I know what that mentality was like yeah and and i was part of that and now i absolutely abhor that right. that attitude right absolutely disgust me uh mainly because of my christian faith that i've come to that conviction mm-hmm. but um but i can't say that martin luther king was uh was right unless i have another standard against which to measure him or mm-hmm. anybody who stands up in a crowd and said wait a minute so and that other standard has got to be either me or some other crowd that has a bigger stick right you know might makes right Karl Marx you know and then you get you get all those issues there you know and uh, whoever has the biggest stick wins and, and then there's a problem with that obviously mm-hmm. So, uh, might doesn't make right. Uh, what makes right is, what makes, is, is based on how we flourish, how we best flourish as a human species. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to my original comment. Right. And the flourishing idea is Aristotle. Uh, he developed an entire um, ethical theory called um, eudaimonism. Eudaimonia is a Greek word that means to flourish. Basically, so the, the best uh, picture I have for eudaimonia is imagine a flower that's in full bloom. Mm-hmm. Going to Sarah P. Duke Gardens up at Duke University in Durham, just up the street here, uh, at the springtime right now, everything's flourishing. Mm-hmm. The Japanese maples are off the charts, they're beautiful. You know? And the azaleas, they're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Everything's optimal. Right, it's flourishing, and so that's what your is. It's flourishing. It's being all that it can be, and so uh, that's the standard against which we measure right from wrong, truth from error, and so forth
0: and so on. They're also flourishing uh, in the fall, though. It's well, that's not true. As, yeah, they do. Yeah, <laughs> they're flourishing at any point, yeah. even when they die, they're flourishing. That's right? true. That's, that's right. What they're meant to. That's right.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, Jesus said, "Unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't give life." Uh, John chapter eleven. So yeah. So there is, there is a a cycle of life, if you Mm -hmm. will. So, but, um, but the fact is, is that um, for things to be optimal, they have to be working in all the ways in which they were designed to work, whether Mm -hmm. it's a flower or a person. And um, so virtue theory basically takes truth, goodness, beauty, um, justice, um, kindness, courage, and all the other virtues, and it and it lumps them all together. And it basically says this: that you can't be one without being them all. That a virtuous person is someone who's who's working on everything. So you can't just have courage without wisdom, for example, because then you're going to look like Buzz Lightyear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just sort of pull the trigger and then aim. Right, right. You know, <laughs> and and that courage is is, is you know laudable on the one hand but mm-hmm. on the other hand without wisdom it's of no use right so a virtuous person is someone who's uh who's someone who's flourishing is someone who's not only courageous but they have the right strategy mm-hmm. about how to implement that courage at just the right time that's what constitutes virtue and goodness in humanity what's, what's, coming, Aristotle.
0: what's coming to mind there is have you have you ever read i think it was a book it was also a movie the imitation game
1: I s- heard of the movie, but Fantastic. I don't Fantastic. about
0: it. So what they they basically, uh, they break the German code, uh, the war code, and they figure oh, out yeah. uh, they yeah. it, like lifting the curtain. They say, "Wow, we can see their entire war plan." Mm-hmm. And so the young kid says, "There's this, uh, you know, a, a flight of bombers heading towards that ship. We need to tell them and save them." And they said, "We can't. We got to let them die." Right. The kid wants to. And I think his brother was on that transport or something. You know, it could it was Hollywood. So. But the idea was there. You know, we, we can't because then they'll let on. You know, if we if we intersect these aircraft, they're going to know that that we know. Uh-huh. And so we have to let people die. And what they ended up doing. And this is a true story is that they made subtle changes. You know, they moved a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, mm-hmm. But they allowed they knew things were coming and they had to allow people to die. Otherwise, mm-hmm the war would have gone on for longer. Mm-hmm. So so cutting your losses. Now that's a utilitarian model. It is, but I mean, There's it's also, I, I, it's hard to say. Because if you, if you save the ship of a thousand yeah. uh, soldiers, yeah. but then you lose the war,
1: you know, w- And therein lies one of the fundamental problems of utilitarianism. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying it's entirely wrong, because most people, if they had to choose between the different ethical theories, there's utilitarianism, there's pragmatism, uh, which is where a lot of people are at, and uh, there's, uh, um, how shall I call it, objectivism, I'll call it. Um, And then there's uh, ethical egoism, Ayn Rand, Mm -hmm. okay, Atlas Unshrugged, and... um, and uh, virtue theory but um most people fall within a utilitarian model that is the end justifies the means and one of the basic problems of the utilitarian ethic is that uh, it presumes that we can forecast the future Mm -hmm. and you just said it if we didn't do this then right well we don't know that right we have statistical models that we can go on and we might be right indeed many times we are mm-hmm. but as David Hume argued <laughs> uh, many years ago with uh, Kant is um, uh, you can't prove there's a cause-effect relationship here. right
0: right you, you can't you, you can't but but when I look at it they were right in doing that they were right in in calculating which but which you only know that post hoc right yeah but I mean as a I mean just as a strategist you would want to um, if you had the ability to find out what your enemy was thinking, I mean, that alone gives you, yeah. gives you the upper hand. I mean, that's, that's why the, the sure. allies won.
1: But t- it, take a mother who's pregnant and about to give birth to her first child. And mm-hmm. it turns out that by giving birth, there's an excellent medical uh, chance that she might lose her life mm-hmm. in giving birth because of whatever medical condition she might be having. Mm-hmm. What does the mother do? Yeah. What does the father do if the mother's unconscious and can't make that decision?
0: I, I there's no right answer for that. I don't think there is. I I personally think the right answer is as a as a parent is to sacrifice yourself for your child. Both both in the sense of See, evolution. I would disagree, really. Yeah, I would disagree. In the sense that if I sacrifice my life, who's going to raise the child? And now I set the child up for.
1: No, I th- no, I think that that by giving birth to the child, the child is inadvertently p- and passively as it were, threatening the life of an innocent human being unnecessarily. And whenever the life of an innocent human being is threatened unnecessarily, then that, uh, that offender, the one who's, who's threatening the person, uh, has given up their right to life, and therefore the child uh, could be taken out. Hmm. Now that sounds harsh and cruel, I know, but uh, if you think about it, uh, there is a, a passive attempt on another person's life.
0: If, yeah, I, sit in no my MO, fr- if I sit a- in the front yard
1: right. in my lawn chair with my lemonade mm-hmm. and I sit, hear a screeching tires and a sports car come racing down the street and I see little Maddie and Summer out playing in the front yard mm-hmm. and the ball goes into the street and one of them runs into the street and I hear these screeching tires and the threat to Maddie's life is great. Mm-hmm. But I'm sitting in my lawn chair witnessing all this. And Rather than saying anything, I say nothing. In fact, I enjoy it. hmm That's a passive attempt upon Maddie's life sure and I'm morally culpable as a result When I could have said something and the possibility that his life could have been spared was great and Yet I chose not to that's a passive attempt on Maddie's life in the same way uh, uh, giving birth to a child uh, that could risk the life of an innocent human being, the mom mm-hmm. in this case, uh, is a passive attempt on the mother's life, and therefore the child has given up her right to life.
0: But in your sense, there's a bit of, there's evil there because you're enjoying it. You know, the child yeah, who's going to kill its...
1: Yeah, it's not a perfect scenario, yeah. one-to-one uh, correlation, but, but still. Yeah, there's, uh, but, but I would be legally within my bounds to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing illegal about me
0: enjoying it. What about the child and doing nothing? What about the child who, who um, say that are, that are born without a brain? I forget what that's called There's a, an, an anencephaly or something like that.. Yeah. Um, so there's, they're alive, the brain stems there. They have a heartbeat, you know they're going to breathe, mm-hmm. but there's no frontal cortex, there's no motor cortex. There's nothing in there that's going to make this child a, a person. Mm-hmm. Um, do you give birth? Do you terminate the child? I mean you know what do you, is there a moral I mean I think there's a obviously a moral um issue going on there, but
1: if by giving birth there's no threat to the mother I don't see
0: any reason why the mother couldn't right do that um, Then it comes down to where where you know what is the human you know what is what is the life you' t- if I lose my leg, I chop my leg off right now <clears throat> and I say. It hurt, but I'm still me. All right? Let me chop off my other leg. Sure. I'm mm-hmm. still me. Cut yeah. off my fingers. Well, I'm still me. Right. At what point am I not me? Where? Right. where well, uh, I know what it is as yeah. a scientist. Well, it depends on...
1: Yeah, it <laughs> depends on whether... Now, Plato was a, was a very, very strong dualist. Mm-hmm. He believed in an ethereal, immaterial world and a material, mm-hmm. practical, concrete world. Okay. And the two shall never mix. Okay? So... Um, Plato is known for uh, having uh, maintained that I am not my body. The essential I am not my body. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing material about me that makes me me. All that I am in my deepest metaphysical essence is immaterial, okay? And it gets thicker than that, but I'll leave it there. Aristotle, on the other hand, who was tutored by Plato, oh, Mm -hmm. by the way, came along and said, wait a minute, (laughs) rather than saying, I am not my body, in other words, all that I am is just a soul, Mm -hmm. the immaterial part of me, why not say, I am a soul with a body, Mm -hmm. rather than I am not my body, and I'm just a soul. Aristotle combined the two, and I think Aristotle actually had the better picture, Uh, he believed in an integrative, uh, understanding of the body and the soul such that they're one and the same being and, and they relate to one another the same way that a pixel relates to the painting. Try taking a painting and take out some of the pixels. Is Mm -hmm. it the same painting?
0: Technically, yes. Yes and no. No, right. (laughs) If you can see those and no, it isn't.
1: But for every every painting, there's a pixel. Right, right, right. So, um, you it, take the paint out of the painting. Are you going to have a painting? Chances are you're not. Right. So, the paint and the painting go together. The painting is the form, to quote Aristotle's famous word that he loved. And the painting is the substance of the form. It's the stuff that makes the form the form. And you can't separate them. So, the body and the soul are one and the same thing. So, going back to our anthropological discussion about what am I? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very important question. We have to answer that. Yeah. Now, most people today who are hard scientists, um, who have very little uh, philosophical training or thinking, uh, don't believe there's any such thing as an immaterial part of me. Uh, I had a conversation two weeks ago after the run club. Uh, one person says, "Well, I don't believe that." Talking about the soul, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a I'm a scientist after all. He says, um, "I only believe in the stuff." that I can see, touch, taste, smell, and, and beat to death, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting words in his mouth. But yeah. that was essentially what he was maintaining. And so uh, my, my response uh, is that, uh, do, you, do you love your wife? And the person says, well, of course I do. Prove it.
0: I mean, I suppose you could prove it in the scientific sense that says, you know, look it, I've been faithful, I've uh, provided, I've sacrificed, I've, you know, Sure. So there's a convenient social arrangement. So is that really how you think of your wife? <laughs> well, no, I mean, but if there's a way to prove that you love someone, I mean I mean there's that's the only way you could you could do it. I mean it depends. If you look at if you look at love, what is love? It's the um, well <laughs> I'm not gonna pretend I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm not gonna pretend We're gonna to solve know that, that one tonight. <laughs> yeah, but, um uh. if if what to me what just touching on the subject, love would be um, absolute um, uh, there's a word I'm just losing it Uh, absolute surrender okay you you surrender all that you have for yourself for others sacrifice sacrifice yeah Yeah. and
1: take the concept of justice same idea right everyone believes in it especially when it's coming toward them Mm -hmm. you know so no one has a problem with justice but where is it oh there it goes I just saw it no no wait a minute
0: (laughs) yeah because justice I mean yeah uh, there's a reason why we don't have freedom everyone believes in freedom Mm -hmm. you know well where is it right you know but but because they're abstract concepts I mean does that necessarily mean there's there's a would you say the ethereal versus the well the
1: the point is that there's they're just as real right they're just as real just as the proposition or the statement that i'm a scientist i only believe uh things that are true that can be proven to me in a scientific lab Mm -hmm. that in itself is a philosophical statement it cannot Mm -hmm. be proven in a lab
0: okay okay so
1: you know you cut off your intellectual notice despite your attitudinal face you know when people do that and and that's why i think philosophy is is important for people to
0: Think carefully about what what they're uh, maintaining. Here's one. Maybe this is a curveball. Maybe <laughs> it isn't. It, without consciousness, is there philosophy? <laughs> Think about it. it. Does a tree make a noise if it falls in the woods? No. Yeah. But if there's, it, if, is there philosophy in nature? Take away the humans, and, and I know it, it, you need to be conscious to, <laughs> to, to contemplate that. But yeah. is there is there yeah. philosophy within uh, that, that? Plato realm?
1: would argue, Adam, absolutely yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know that whether or not you're there to hear the sound is irrelevant that you know the sound is real <laughs> So there is philosophy without <laughs>
0: consciousness. Yeah, <laughs> and then you have to say what's consciousness. I yeah. mean uh, um, There's just either brain states or that can be measured in a lab mm-hmm.
1: or uh, is consciousness something that's much deeper I argue that's something much deeper, right? I All really right. believe it is
0: I've heard um, some far-out um, <clears throat> Theories it involves
1: brain it. states, incidentally, mm-hmm. by the way, and going back to Aristotle and the integrative uh, model of the human being, it involves the brain states, but it's not brain states. Mm-hmm. Just like light involves the sun, but is not the sun, Right. Right. for example. Right. So. Um, We're talking metaphysics here, sorry. Somebody said,
0: <laughs> that's what I said, I mean, it doesn't matter which direction it goes in. <laughs> Someone said that the um, human consciousness is the act of the universe Turning and looking back upon itself. I thought that was a fascinating oh, way to look at it Yeah, uh-huh. almost like the end of a I don't know. I wouldn't know uh-huh. even know how to describe it But as it as it out as it stretches its tendrils it can turn around and observe itself.
1: I forgot who the uh, the um, Person was who started the uh, Gaia hypothesis.
0: I've heard a lot about it. I don't know I much about it's it.
1: not Fritjof Capra he taught physics at, um, um, at Stanford but he wrote a book called *The Tao of Physics* that kind of was a spin on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, yeah, the Gaia hypothesis is that the, the entire universe is w- uh, a living, breathing organism. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, I don't remember if it involved
0: consciousness or not. I could see it's that. Been so long since I looked at it. I mean, think about the amount of living beings on your body right now is something like I think a hundred trillion. Uh, that's bacteria. Oh, yeah. I mean they're smaller than and in fact. They outnumber your cells like a hundred to one sure um, Our cells are a lot bigger. That's why we don't look like gooey <laughs> Organisms, but still it's like <laughs> two or three Campbell's soups can cans yeah. full of bacteria <laughs> when you think about it So yeah, I mean uh, Someone had, had mentioned again. I don't remember who and I thought this is a fascinating thing that consciousness our brains are like um, uh, Radio towers uh, receivers and that consciousness is—we're just receiving information, whether it's physical or metaphysical. We're we're tuned at a certain wavelength, okay. And when you alter that yeah. wavelength, huh. you your information and your input becomes different. Mm. So, take eating the uh, uh, psilocybin mushroom. They say we'll t- will fine tune your okay. your consciousness. I'm saying you're tuned in words. Yeah, and allow you to because when people take it, uh. they'll say they feel. Yeah. The trees or the grass. Or the yeah. I've never done it. Um, I'm fascinated. Let's take I would,
1: a, a dog's sense of smell. My right. understanding is that it's somewhere around 40 times stronger than the human yeah. sense of smell. And when a dog smells a perfume, for example, it smells all the different wow. uh, scents that went in to make that one scent called high karate or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, and so our old spice. So uh, imagine the complexity of, yeah. of a dog's smell. Well, someone's telling me that about the if that were true for all our senses man yeah
0: they say a skunk when you know when you smell skunk from far away yeah that's the way a dog senses every smell like they're like oh yeah i know exactly what that is which is fascinating so how do we 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 can't even pretend to to understand what life is like for a dog um (laughs) or for someone who's taken psilocybin mushrooms i haven't but I have the feeling that if um, I wasn't married <laughs> with kids, I would probably go and volunteer. I want yeah. to know now. <laughs> when I was, a, you know, a, a, as growing up, the reason why I didn't do them is because, you know, I was, I was afraid. I wouldn't want to take a mushroom. I wouldn't know where I'm going. Yeah, yeah. But now that I'm kind of comfortable with myself and yeah, I know they don't kill people. Blotter acid here and there. <laughs> that I probably wouldn't do. That I wouldn't do only because I wouldn't want to know. I... I I wouldn't, because I like to know, I like to look at the pool and say, okay, that's eight feet deep. I wouldn't just jump in and be like, (laughs) could be a thousand feet deep, (laughs) could be two feet deep. I'm just going to jump in. Yeah. Um, But yeah, psilocybin. And I think think eventually, so a lot of these things, MDMA, which is um, ecstasy, that's a street name. MDMA is showing... It's showing really, really promising Uh um, abilities to heal PTSD.
1: Oh, my. There's a lot of things.
0: Ibogaine, which is another um, Mm. natural plant um, that is showing. Here's the thing with Ibogaine. They give it to people who are fully addicted to heroin. And within one treatment, they're done. Wow. Uh, It's such such an introspective experience. Same thing with ayahuasca. And then to some degree, ayahuasca is another. Here's the thing about ayahuasca, right? uh figure out try try to wrap your head around this so there was people it's an ancient brew it's a tea that these people in south america uh little tribes figured out that if you took the bark of one tree boiled it for so many hours and then took a root from another tree boiled it for so many hours when they worked together yeah people so i've done a a few interviews with people who have done it people (laughs) people literally (laughs) The way they explain it is that their consciousness is removed from the physical world and it's turned on itself So then they can see almost like a near-death experience They can visualize their life and their relationship Mm. with everything that's around them and then they come back and again They have profound um, I had a guy on last year um, Riley Anderson I want to have him on again because he's gone back down, but he he was depressed He was on antidepressants. He was on uh, he was drinking and I, I don't remember the whole story so sorry Riley if you're, you're listening to this one but um, and he was working making lots of money for uh-huh. a oil industry oil company <clears throat> up in, in Canada and I don't know how he heard about it but somehow he heard about ayahuasca and how it had this profound change or whatever so he said all right I'll do it and he went went yeah. with the shaman they spent the weekend and he he drank this brew and he came back he huh. got rid of everything he became um, I think he's a, a naturalistic holistic medical Student I think at this point and he's happy as can be he's not on any antidepressants
1: well, and that again speaks to um, Aristotle's Understanding of the human being and that is that we are a composite. We are a complex entity Mm -hmm. consisting of two parts material and immaterial and so, w- when something happens to us materially, mm-hmm. uh, chemically, in this case, mm-hmm. um, then then it affects the entire being because they're interrelated. Right. You can't take the paint out of the painting. Right. Um, so, so um, it's certainly conceivable that when something chemically happens to us, that it changes us within.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, deep within at our
0: very um, essential. Uh, structure No, when you look at the the macroscopic versus the microscopic or the subatomic I mean it really because we only know I know there's a table here. There's fire there. Um, I Can see my surroundings and know where I am and that's how I'm designed. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how I'm supposed to See things right. But in the same sense if we were to just blow this up, you know by a <laughs> billion times it, it would It would be a completely different universe it would be unrecognizable There'd be states of matter that we don't quite sure. understand, oh, sure. acting and interacting with each other in ways that are all theoretical. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what we're all made of. Sure. That's what we're. That is what we are right
1: now. Right. I, I like to think of the difference between apprehension and comprehension. I don't think any human comprehends any th- one thing. And I know those terms are, are used rather loosely, mm-hmm. but in the fullest sense of the word comprehend, to comprehend something, we have all the understanding that there is to know about it. But to apprehend it, we're able to uh, perceive some things about it, but not all things. Okay. So I'd like to think that all humans can only apprehend things that so we don't comprehend when i finished my uh, master's uh, degree in order to finish it i do a comprehensive exam mm-hmm. and it was um five uh essay questions each of which took about 40 pages long <laughs> 40 50 pages wow. each, each of which and it was all from my head i had no books no resources other than um something to write with at the the time this was a long time ago (laughs) i Mm -hmm. didn't have a computer (laughs) and so um uh it was uh it it was called a comprehensive exam but it really wasn't comprehensive (laughs) i only apprehended a few things about the topics that i wrote on and explicated my understanding of it turns out i've passed (laughs) (laughs) yeah so but uh, but you know we really we don't have comprehension we can't possibly see all that there is and then you get into the issue of um not only uh the the de facto the way things are but the um uh the contingency of things if this then that you know what things could have been like had this does and such gone a different direction. Mm-hmm. It would have changed the trajectory of everything. That's what the chaos theory is all ba- built on. It's a sequence of events that, you know, the butterfly in Africa causes mm-hmm. a Taiwanese... or uh, Taiwan... Uh, uh, tsunami. Tsunami, yeah. yeah. So, um, but but if the butterfly were just two miles north, <laughs> you know... Yeah, yeah it, yeah, it may not have been a tsunami at all. It may have been a rainstorm in North Carolina, you know. But with <laughs> so. that stuff, you
0: can't... You, I mean, it's it, to me, it's useless to even... But it's it. fascinating. Oh, and, sure. It's and my point
1: in bringing that up about the idea of contingency is uh, how little we really know, right? Because to comprehend is to understand not only all that will be and is, but all that could be, right? But won't. That's phenomenal.
0: Yeah. A mind that can do that is over the top. <laughs> Wait till. Uh, I'm wondering if it's going to happen in my lifetime, and and we don't know. I don't know if you've been. I'm sure you you're in you're in IT, so you've been following this. The advent of IT, or I'm sorry, artificial uh, intelligence. Yeah, AI. Yep. Yeah. Um, and how there's this there's this thought that eventually it'll be smarter than us, which there's never been anything smarter than yeah. humans. Uh, they call that artificial super intelligence, and at that point the smartest human will be what they call king of the dipshits because right? <laughs> it'll be you know the smartest monkey in the room is still a monkey still flinging yeah, right. each other um uh, it, what what will happen what will i mean yeah. you know uh, there's a, a great book called um uh, our final invention by james barrett he actually came on the show a couple of years ago because huh. uh, i read the book and i was just floored so i got in touch with him he was very friendly but his idea is that if you were, if you were to wake up in a cage and you look and your guards are a couple mice and somehow you can communicate with them, but you have all, I mean, you're a human and you can say, hey guys, let me out of the cage. No, we're not gonna, we're not supposed to let you out of the cage. I'll give you all the cheese you want. I can reach the top of the fridge and bring down and, and eventually they're going to let you out. Huh. And now you got a world full of mice, but you're a human. What are you going to start doing? You're going to start <laughs> making the world for humans, right? Yeah, yeah. And if there's too many mice, well, huh? Morally, where does this where does this machine have to keep us alive? Yeah. I mean, does it have an obligation to to revere us? I I suppose do I revere um, uh, single cell organisms? That's that's my heritage. It can only do what it's what it's programmed to do.
1: And um, and and I understand that right. artificial intelligence is not a strict discursive type, step-by-step, procedural type thing. I understand that. And I also understand, um, and my knowledge is, uh, I'm sure, antiquated by now, but I had heard that rather than the binary system, they were working on a trinary system or MIT somewhere,
0: I have no so idea. rather than ones and zeros only, well, well quantum computing, right? Isn't that have yeah, or to something that? like that? So, yeah.
1: and I don't know how that fits in with artificial intelligence. I really uh, am clueless on that. But um, but it's still only going to be a,
0: a limited number of options at the end of the day. It's it just is, even if it can bypass those options because it it's so they're but designed to, what? to bypass to what another to option. Right. right they had um I think it was Google was the, the, everyone's working on AIs? you know they're they're and they're in a lot to work better yeah yeah <laughs> so but it's exponential so in two and a half years yeah. do you know it's amazing too and I hate to go off on this but um, well let's just quick finish so the AI um, I already lost I already lost my train of thought oh sorry yeah uh, it's okay the um, <laughs> yeah it, so it's going to increase exponentially and I think what's what's interesting is I've been saying that I've learned about that over the last 10 years and we're really starting to see it now mm. We're really starting to see Like I'm expe- you, you can experience the jump in technology over oh, the past yeah. two years. It's phenomenal two years where yeah. you know It used to be ten years or 50. I mean look right. at the look at the Apple uh, one phone versus the Apple yeah. nine phone and then yeah. look at the nine versus the ten. Yeah, or, or whatever I mean, yeah. you're talking yeah huge jumps. in, all in, in all. A, a fraction of the time. Yep. Um, I wish I remember the uh, the morality of the the AI thing that was uh, I would I would recommend reading it. it's for pure enjoyment uh, okay. It's scary uh, yeah. To hear this guy's theory on these huh. things because it makes you wonder It makes you wonder, you know at what point when when will the machine start saying um, you know, I, I my job my job is to perpetuate myself, and my job is to fix any of the glitches. Oh, that's what I was going to say. That uh, Google or somebody was working on um AI, and the two, so they had a few of them, and two of them started talking to each other, and so they tried to shut it down, and so they changed their language, and then they started talking to each other in a different language. and oh, they said wow. nope. and they pulled the plug. Oh my God, because they were just kind of huh. going off on it, and and they didn't wow. know what they were doing because whatever they were doing. They were communicating in a language that the Google people couldn't figure out.
1: Are you serious? Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, and and it wasn't on. It wasn't like oh, let's do this so so the huh. humans can't. It was saying, H- here's a better f- way for us to communicate. Oh, and here's a better way, and then that kind of just became Whoa. like huh. their own language. Huh. And so they started working within each other. And Google's like, I don't, we don't That'd want this to to wow. happen. Huh. Yeah, fascinating.
1: Well,
0: wow. well, it's been uh, it's almost nine o'clock. Uh, Wow, good talk, man. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I miss I miss these ones. This is the first one-on-one talk I've had in probably a year. Uh, yeah. I've been doing mostly Skype calls with okay. with you know big good. and famous people, but oh, this is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Joking.
1: laughs> this has been fun. It really yeah.
0: has. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. So um, we don't you know was it, it wasn't meant to um, get the final answers on things, but uh, definitely gets the the mind working. Yeah. So your your blog. Is in Christus. You're gonna have to spell that because my dyslexia does not oh, want me sure. to spell things like that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, in Christus. Okay. Uh, it's i n c h r i s t u s. Some see it as in Christus. Right. Dot com.
0: What does it actually mean? It In
1: Christus is Latin for
0: in Christ. Okay.
1: And in Christ is an expression that's used repeatedly, some
0: 78 times in the New Testament. And and that's not your only, like, people just won't find you on your blog. Don't you write for a number of, of can people find you at other places? Uh, or is that the best place? No,
1: there? well, I've been published in a um, couple of journals and stuff, but those okay. are peculiar to the societies that I belong to. Yeah. So they're not publicly accessible. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that's about it.
0: You're, you're with the Illuminati, aren't you? Yeah, right. The secret society. the pyramid with the That's one thing. That's one rabbit hole I never go down. I,
1: I actually learned a lot about that years ago. Did you? Yeah, it scared a pee out of me. Really? <laughs> I sure see some did. of the
0: stuff on it, but then it's here's the stupid. problem with that. When you start going down those rabbit holes, it, it always ends with the lizard people or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, that no, it's, that's not happening. It's fun to think about, but... Yeah. no 9-11 wasn't an inside job there's no lizards out there uh, and the fact that i'm openly denying it <laughs> will make me i'll get comments on my either yeah. my facebook that it says i'm with the illuminati just because i'm bringing it up yeah
1: that's great yeah, yeah. so <laughs> i
0: had to increase traffic <laughs> that's right that's right well paul thank you very much for coming on yeah um, thank you that's about it i guess Like us on Facebook.com slash WWI Podcast and at WWI Podcast on Twitter. Drop us a line at Podcast at Yahoo.com. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Internet Radio. Go forth and expand your reality.